Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the nation's number one show for you as a family caregiver. How are you doing? How are you holding up? What's going on with you? More than 65 million Americans are currently serving as a family caregiver. Maybe you're one of them. Back and forth to the doctor's office, back and forth to rehab centers, back and forth to the pharmacy, up late at night doing laundry and then having long conversations with the ceiling fan. There's all kinds of different uh, challenges that we as caregivers deal with. Our health, our well-being, our understanding, our peace of mind, and solid footing is what this show is all about. And we're glad to have you with us. There's more at hopeforthecaregiver.com. You ever had people come up to you and offer their insight unto you or your loved one's suffering? And they want to, you know, bloviate about how they understand why God is doing what he's doing uh, in your life. You ever have that? Well, I've had that a lot, where they just come up and just feel free to invade your trauma, your suffering, your challenges, your heartache with their supposedly good counsel. And, and sometimes you feel so beat up or so discouraged that you can't even respond to that, and you you allow them just to heap more stuff on you. Uh, other times, you feel like you're going. Well, it wouldn't be polite to say something back. I, I I didn't want to sound snarky to people when that happened, but there were times when the snark just kind of got out. I'm sorry to say, but you know, and I try to be very. Oh, I don't know what the word is, but I try to be a little bit more temperate um, as that comes up. But at the same time, it's really inappropriate the way people will try to speak into people's suffering without being invited to, without having established that kind of relationship, without establishing that kind of trust. They just want to just do a drive-by dissertation, theological dissertation, I guess, if you will, or drive-by prophesying. And, And that's just, it's just inappropriate. But rather get into a a conversation about apologetics for caregivers and how to push back on this kind of stuff, I thought maybe we'd take a little time to educate ourselves and others on a biblical approach to grieving and mourning and, and addressing people who are in that. And I've been studying the, uh, the the Jewish Shiva, the sitting Shiva, which is the week-long mourning period in Judaism, period that lasts seven days following the burial. Now, why is that important? Well, that's why I asked longtime friend Eric Walker, Rabbi Eric Walker. He's a Messianic rabbi. I've been a regular participant on his show for four years. At the end of every month, we did a whole thing for caregivers. It's called Igniting a Nation. He's the leader of that organization. He's an amazing teacher of, of Scripture and understanding God's provision in these things in a way maybe that you and I haven't even thought of before. And so I wanted to invite him on to talk about this and introduce him to you all, and hopefully this will turn into be a series of conversations we have, uh, if time permits, with him. So, Eric, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you with us. Peter, always an honor to be with you. As uh, you and I have spent uh, four and a quarter years together on television and done some radio together, it's such a large issue uh, affecting so many people that it probably is the single largest issue 
facing the largest number of Americans on a day-to-day basis and the coverage that it gets, the conversations that are had regarding it seems to be almost a taboo. It almost seems to be like, uh, you know, I have pity and I feel sorry for the people that are going through this and and uh, but for the grace of God, there go I and there's really not a lot of words of encouragement. People are ill-equipped to know what to say, to what to do, to how to lend a hand. Corporately, I don't think that uh, we've developed the kind of programs within denominational Christianity to assist and come alongside the caregiver in ways that we've done in many other areas. And you and I having this conversation brings a biblical focus to the problem and to resolve and help bring understanding and compassion to those who are affected by caregiving and those who are observers, those who know somebody who's a caregiver and hopefully the awareness is raised where they will become more sensitive, more helpful and understand really the plight of the caregiver in terms that will educate and illuminate a topic that affects 65 million Americans. I've come to understand we as caregivers may have unique circumstances or tasks involved in our challenges with our loved one who is dealing with impairments. But on a heart level, on a soul level, on a core level, everything we deal with is common to the human condition. You know, it's fear, it's obligation, it's guilt, it's, it's despair, it's rage, it's resentment. Those are all common to the human condition. We may live with it on a, on a nuclear level, if you will, uh, where it's sometimes relentless. It just, just doesn't go away. But the good news is, is that all of those things are covered clearly and in depth in Scripture. And by those things, I mean those things that are common to us. Now, as caregivers, we have to learn specific tasks. But once we learn them, we got them. We don't have to keep repeating the learning process. We understand it. We move on. For example, giving an injection. I didn't learn how to give injections in music school. Now, my hands are pretty steady as a pianist, but holding a hypodermic needle is a much different thing. So, as you can imagine, I was pretty nervous the first time I had to do this for Gracie. But I've done this now for many times over over many years. So I'm not that nervous about it anymore. I got it. All right? But the stuff that we deal with on a soul level, on a heart level, we keep revisiting those things. And that's what brings me to my conversation here today with you. The issue I'd like to take on with you today, Eric, is grief and mourning. And I am convinced that as caregivers, that's a part of our journey is learning how to grieve in a healthier manner and to grieve with others in a healthier manner, to receive others in our grief in a healthier manner. So I want you to take some time to talk about that. Let's, let's go deep into grieving and mourning from a biblical viewpoint. Jesus himself was a man acquainted with sorrow and grief, Scripture says. But as many people do, they, they often launch into the book of Job when it comes to this sort of thing. So I want you to take us there and unpack some of this for us. As we examine the book of Job, one of the things we see is when his friends spoke, it wasn't wise counsel. It wasn't in alignment with the will of God. As a matter of fact, it was really uh, 
if I had friends like that, I wouldn't want them. But <clears throat> when they finally perceived the depth of his grief, they then displayed a godly representation of being present and not speaking. And in that presence and not resting on their own words, it takes me to uh, Isaiah. The first five chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah is a phenomenal preacher, but he's not a prophet. When it comes to Isaiah 6 and he comes into the presence of God, he realizes that he's been doing things in his own strength. And he is so moved by this that he is taken to his face in front of the Lord and cries out that, whoa, I'm a man undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And God takes the coals and burns his lips and then asks them the question, now, who should I send? And now that he's been refined by the refiner's fire, he's now able to be a messenger of God, not just a good preacher. As these friends gathered with Job, not in their advice and their opinions, but just their presence, and the seven-day period became a period of silence, and they sat there only to offer their support and had no words. If Job wanted to speak, he could initiate a conversation. But just the fact that they were present with him established a pattern that says that those who are mourning, how they process grief has to be on an individual level. And there is no guidance. There's no words. I can't bring back your loved one no matter what I say to you. It is not going to be the right thing. I may satisfy myself in having an eloquent soliloquy to tell you to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, or they finally receive their healing. And none of that brings comfort to the grieving. By the way, that seven days still continues today from what I understand. It's called sitting Shiva. And sitting Shiva is a part of this mourning process. And the process begins even with, upon the death uh, in Judaism, we bury within three days. You know, we don't have these lengthy embalming and then uh, 10 days later, seven days later, you know, you're in the ground as quickly as you can possibly be. And it is done in a simple pine box. Uh, it's not ornate. It is into the ground, uh, as tradition says, uh, for us to do, is to uh, traditionally not embalm, because Leviticus 17.11 says, for the life of the thing is in the blood. And so if you take the lifeblood out of the body, then when you go to resurrect the body, there's no lifeblood in it. So are you re resurrecting formaldehyde? Uh, no, what happens is the body goes into complete decay. We know that the blood of Abel cried out from the ground. So there's life in the blood. And so this has become incorporated as part of the Jewish tradition that traditionally we do not embalm. Unless there's a legal requirement in a state that requires embalming, we don't embalm. Uh, that was an Egyptian 
So the reason why Joseph was embalmed was because he wanted his he wanted to be preserved to be able to have his bones carried into the promised land. But when we look at this seven day period, what happens is is that you have a funeral service. Like any funeral service, I preached my father's funeral service. It was a gathering, and then there's a processional to the graveside. Uh, we bury always facing east. The head is always facing east towards Jerusalem or whatever part of the world you're in, whatever direction Jerusalem is because of Ezekiel 43. The Lord will return when he breaks through the eastern skies. So the body is to be raised up. The eyes are constantly looking to the skies, even in death, for the resurrection of the dead. So even wherever the headstone is placed, it doesn't matter. The head is always positioned to be facing towards Jerusalem, looking for the Messiah. As part of the tradition, at the graveside, as you begin to exit, there's a table with a pitcher of water. And you take the pitcher, it's a two-handled pitcher. So my right hand rinses my left hand, my left hand rinses my right hand, so I'm not cross-contaminating. And I wash death off my hands. I don't take it from the cemetery back into the home. When I come to the home of the bereaved, I find another pitcher there to remove any remains, a two-handled pitcher uh, that I use to wash my hands so that I don't bring death into the home. For the ultra-religious, they cover all mirrors and pictures, so there is no reflection of what you have lost. Then there's a period in which the bereaved is set by a family member in a central location, maybe their favorite chair or the couch in the living room where people can come and pay the respects and the way they pay the respects is they come they stand there they take the hand of the one who's bereaved and they say nothing we're talking with messianic rabbi eric walker we're talking about grieving and mourning this is hope for the caregiver this is peter rosenberger don't go away we'll be right back Every day they get up, put on their uniforms, and walk out their doors in order to keep our families safe. They never know what they'll face, but they face it anyway with bravery and determination. There's been so much hatred toward law enforcement lately that we can't emphasize enough just how important it is for us to lift up our local peace officers, to let them know how much we appreciate them for all they do for our communities. That's why Sunday, June 13th has been set aside as a day of prayer for law enforcement. Please help spread the word to your family, your friends, and especially your pastor. You can get more information and suggestions for ways to encourage them at afa.net. The brave men and women who serve and protect our families deserve our respect and our appreciation. The American Family Association supports law enforcement, and we hope you'll join us in showing your support on Sunday, June 13th. Visit AFA.net. 
back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, scientist and creation researcher with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, when we look at humanity, where do all the different skin colors come from? Chris, of course, all our traits are controlled by our genes, and they've always been quite mysterious. Now, as the human genome has been decoded, the mystery of the origin of skin color has not been solved. We can't figure out what controls the genes. Evidently, there's something behind the genes that turns them on and off and controls how long they operate. Here at the Institute for Creation Research, we're researching this, and I predict that many of these plaguing problems will soon be solved. One thing for certain, it won't be solved by claiming the genes randomly mutated. They were created by an intelligent designer, the designer that's mentioned back in Genesis. To learn more about creation, get our free DVD called That's a Fact. Call us at 800-628-7640 and mention the promo code FACT. This is American Family Radio, a listener-supported ministry of the American Family Association. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. I am Peter Rosenberger. This is the show for caregivers, about caregivers, hosted by a caregiver. That uh, bumper that you heard coming in was my wife, Gracie. It's from uh, my CD, Songs for the Caregiver, and I asked her to sing that. It was a special time when she recorded that. Uh, I I brought a friend of mine over to the house who uh, is a Grammy Award-winning engineer in Nashville, when we lived there, and, and I had him come over and record Gracie. We didn't know if she could sing uh, following uh, several pretty rough surgeries, and we thought that maybe her singing was over. And she sat in her wheelchair with our dog back sitting beside her and sang that. Uh, he ran a bunch of chords and so forth um, in from one room to the next, and I sat at the piano and played that, and, and she sang that in our kitchen. Uh, and it was um, it was extraordinary. I mean, she just did it live to track, and and we were just quite moved. And it's a song about people who are in pain, saying that there is a bomb in Gilead. And and I I Gracie, for those of you who don't know, Gracie lives with an enormous amount of pain. Uh, her body is an orthopedic train wreck from a horrible wreck she had back in 1983. And it's cost her a lot. And and so as she sat there, she wasn't wearing her prosthetic legs that day. She just sat in a wheelchair and just sang it from her heart. And and uh, it's my father's favorite hymn. He had it played often and sung often at church growing up. My father's a minister. And so we recorded that, and I played it for him for Father's Day. And it's one of the few times I've ever seen his eyes fill with tears. Dad's kind of stoic, uh, Presbyterian minister, naval officer, he's a captain of the Navy, retired chaplain, and fairly stoic. And that one he teared up with, and and it was quite moving. And uh, to make the wounded whole, to heal the sin-sick soul. And I I just, I love that hymn, so thank you for indulging me with that. That song, along with the entire CD, is available to download wherever uh, you can download stream music. And... um, I hope you enjoy it, and, and I, I think you'll find it very meaningful. All right, we're talking with Messianic Rabbi Eric Walker of IgnitingAnation.com. That's IgnitingAnation.com. 
And we're talking about the concept of Shiva, which is uh, the, the morning period, the sitting Shiva. You've heard that in Judaism. Does that same concept of being with people in their grief apply to us as family caregivers? Before we went to the break, we talked about just the importance of just being with someone, not saying something, not initiating something, just being quiet and being still. Eric, talk a little bit more about that. If we look at the Exodus and we see what happened with the pillar of cloud that went before the Israelites, taking them and lighting the way to the Red Sea, when the pillar of cloud moved from the front to the back, and illuminated the Israelites from the front and kept the Egyptians in darkness, the people began to grumble and complain. And Moses looked at them and said, stand still and be quiet. Stand still and be quiet. Now, we know the passage, be still and know that I am God. The only time we can have full confidence in God is when we're still enough to be able to receive an outpouring of his grace, his mercy, and his love. When a human being breaks that silence and consider this bereaved under a shroud of the Holy Spirit, enveloped by the Holy Spirit, if I break that, if I intrude upon that, then I'm speaking out of turn. God is the protector. God is the covering. He is what we call the kapoor, the covering. And as the covering, out of respect for the presence of God who is ministering to the bereaved, who am I to speak and interrupt what God is trying to do? Mm. Now, I may be a very close friend to that person, and I may be able to regale them with great stories of great comfort and, and humor, but this is not the time for it. If they want to speak, they speak. Our presence is made known. The most comforting thing you can do is take a person's hand in your hand, put your hand over their hand, and cover it to just say, I I'm with you. Pay your respects and you move on. This goes on for a week, seven days of people receiving. The numbers, of course, on the day of the funeral are the greatest, but the family tends to the bereave. They prepare meals, they bring food, and they receive people. The numbers begin to dwindle as we go through that seven-day mourning period. What's happening in the mind of the bereaved? People leave that evening, and they're left alone. Maybe they have a son or a daughter that chooses to stay with them, but oftentimes it's not. They're trying on life without this loved one, and this is a troubling time. This is a time where the mind goes to that place of despair, so the next day you need that reassurance that you're not alone. And so for seven days, that reassurance is given to that person. After a week, you feel like you're not alone. You've had plenty of people who have come and shown you love and shown you respect. And maybe then you want to talk a little bit. 
Maybe then you want to start making plans. Well, what are we going to do with dad's clothes or with my wife's clothing? And how are we going to divide this up? Maybe that conversation starts, but the seven days is kind of a window. It's an island in time. It's very much like the Sabbath. You know, when God in the creation, the 14 verses of creation on each of the first six days, he said it was evening and then it was morning. And it was the first day and the second day and the third day. But when it came to the seventh day, he didn't put a time frame on it. It just says on the seventh day, he ceased from work and rested. Doesn't say that it was evening and it was morning on the seventh day. It was to be an island in time. And so imagine being in this island of time. For seven days, the time of creation, the time of completion, seven's the number of completion. So at the end of the seven days, you have rested in the comfort of the Lord. Psalm 91, he who dwells, this is that dwelling. They have the presence of the Lord right there. And family and friends have come to pay the respects it begins to dwindle down to very close family and very close friends. And finally, after that seven days is over, now life begins to return. But yet, we take an entire year. And where in Christianity, you might bury somebody and have a headstone waiting for them that you ordered at the time and it's now prepared and you place them into a grave that has a headstone. In Judaism, we don't do that. We place the headstone one year on the anniversary of their death. And there are no flowers at a Jewish funeral. Why? Because the grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And so we don't have a dying presence of flowers, which will wilt and die. And when we visit the grave, we do not leave flowers at the grave because that's not a lasting memorial. What do we do? We place a stone on the headstone. We look around the grave area, we find a rock, and we place it there. And the wind doesn't blow it off, the rain doesn't blow it off, and it's a sign that this person mattered. Mm. And it's a memorial. We're talking with Messianic Rabbi Eric Walker. We're discussing the concept of grief and of mourning from a biblical perspective. How do the principles that are centuries and millennia old that were used in Judaism way back before the time of Christ, Christ himself would have been familiar with these things. How do those things apply to us today? How can we incorporate those things into our journey as family caregivers? Is there a correlation? Is there a tie-in? to these things into our life today. We're going to talk more about that with Rabbi Eric Walker of Igniting a Nation. Go visit his website at ignitinganation.com to learn more about him and the unique ministry that he has 
that is touching people literally around the world. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. By understanding your own emotions and the emotions of your spouse, you can grow closer than ever to each other. On the next Focus on the Family, Dr. David and Dr. Jan Stoop share their SMART Love acronym and explain how improving your emotional intelligence can transform your marriage. Next time on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Focus on the Family is heard each weekday morning at 5 o'clock Central on American Family Radio. Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. Christian parents are on the hook today because they have to identify the threats to the value system uh, that's being taught to their children in public schools. And their job is to protect their kids from these influences. Tune in for Family Talk with Dr. James Dobson. Weekdays at 6.30 a.m. and 9.30 p.m. on American Family Radio. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to our program. God's blessings to you all. The Word of God tells us many times in one way or another, fear not. Today in the world, many are very fearful, afraid of the coronavirus and other perils that are going on in our world. Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2 tells us, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. I'm Joseph Parker, and we here at the American Family Association would like to remind you, fear not, put your trust in the Lord. We'd like to both encourage and challenge you to aggressively put your faith to work. Certainly use wisdom and insight that government and medical professionals are encouraging, but first, put your trust in the Lord. We'd like to encourage you to pray Psalm 91 daily for yourself and your family and keep your trust in Him. If you'd like to get a copy of the Psalm 91 prayer for yourself, email us here at psalm91 at afa.net. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the show for you as a family caregiver. That is my wife, Gracie, with Johnny Erickson Tata off of Gracie CD, Resilient. And if you like what you're hearing on this show today, go out and be a part of what we're doing, hopeforthecaregiver.com. Any donation of any amount, we'll send you a copy of that CD. I think you'll find it very meaningful. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. We're talking with Rabbi Eric Walker, Messianic Rabbi. Eric Walker, we're discussing the concept of Shiva. What does this mean? This is the way that grief is observed for the bereaved in the Jewish culture. This has been going on for thousands of years. You can go back and look at it. Uh, The first instance of of reading about this is in Job 2.13. And after the loved one has passed, family members and friends come and, and sit with them. And they don't engage unless they are responding to something that the bereaved says. They don't initiate it. Jesus himself would have been familiar with this. And we're talking about how this applies to the family caregiver. 
And that's why I want to pivot to talking about those who are grieving, but they have no service. There is no funeral service, but they're grieving the loss of their loved one who is no longer able to engage because of Alzheimer's or other similar types of afflictions or special needs family going through the trauma and the loss of knowing that this child is going to grow up with much different expectations in their life than they would have normally had for a child. All of those kinds of things weigh into the world of a family caregiver. They're going through grief, and they need to process that grief and have it respected in in a way that's tangible and meaningful. And that's what brings us to our conversation today. Can we take these same principles and learn how to engage those who are grieving and mourning and allow it to be processed in a healthier manner? Can we reflect Christ's compassion in this? If you've logged any kind of time in this world as a caregiver, you've heard the platitudes and the trite comments that people make unsolicited like well god's obviously got a plan or she wouldn't be here well thank you captain obvious you know uh or they're in a better place you know that kind of stuff you you, you've heard this where people try to offer what they think is comfort but i think we could go deeper and i think we we must go deeper into this and that's where i go to scripture and so i wanted to get rabbi walker to just spend some time and unpack this of what of what Scripture says to this and how we as believers can respond to other people who are going through great trauma and heartache and loss. Maybe not in a funeral sense, maybe not with the passing of a loved one, but certainly have to watch the suffering and the angst and the heartache. And so thank you, Eric, very much. Talk about this a little bit. Jesus's pattern was to never assume anything even the obvious. The paralytic is lowered through the roof, obviously cannot walk. He's been in this condition for a very long time. And Jesus doesn't say, well, it's obvious this man needs healing. I'm just going to heal him. He asks him, what do you want? And when the man says, I want to walk, he said, take your pallet and Go, get up. The only grief that I've ever really known from a mourning perspective, other than this, the regular traumas of life, was when my father passed. This was a man that I never had a conversation with in my life. I never had a conversation with him. I left home at 14. I graduated high school at 16, went off to college went in the corporate world, never had a conversation with him in my life. And when he passed, they, he was in hospice. They, handed, they, they, they called me to release him to die. It's really the only time I ever really spoke to him, and he was in a coma. And my mother asked me to preach his funeral. And... I didn't shed a tear. I didn't mourn the loss of my father. But what I came to grips with was that I was in mourning, but I was in mourning because I had lost any opportunity to ever have the father that I would want. Different kind of mourning, but it's very comparable 
to the morning of, I'm never going to have a child who's going to be able to walk. I'm never going to have a child that's ever going to be able to take care of themselves. I'm never going to have the ability to go out dancing with Gracie or uh, run a marathon with her. Uh, there's different things that we grieve in life that are very personal. But because Jesus was a man who was familiar with sorrows, and because he asked what it was that people wanted, he was able to give them what they wanted. And I think that it has to do with the relationship with God. What do I want? Well, I want my daughter to walk. I want my daughter to, yes, you want that. Okay. But <clears throat> that may change. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of miracles. But in the meantime, while we wait, how do we, how do we deal with that? How do we offer comfort? How do we minister? The Bible shows us a pattern is for us to actively ask, what do you want? What do you need? How can I help you? What can I do to support you in this? Do you need a couple of hours to take a break? Do you need somebody to run an errand for you? In so many situations, I see they have these online uh, people providing meals for a period of time, but then that goes away after some specified period, some arbitrary period of time. But in these permanent situations where you're dealing with caregiving on a full-time basis, there are ongoing needs. There are ongoing, as you have talked about, that a healthy caregiver is a benefit to the person they're giving care to, but an unhealthy caregiver is a detriment to the person they're caring for. I want to circle back to something you said earlier about putting your hand on top of someone else's, just holding their hand and then putting your other hand on top of theirs, just to be with them. And it reminded me of an event when I was with Gracie. We were watching something on television, and they were showing somebody running some kind of marathon or something, and her eyes filled with tears and she said, I wish I could run again. She used to be a runner before her accident. At that point, certainly there are a lot of scriptures that could come to mind. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. And I could say all kinds of things, but it wasn't the time to say that. It was just the time. And I reached over and I just put my hand on hers. And I said, I know. And I let her grieve it out. And I tried to get out of the way. There were times in the past where I tried to, you know, hope direct her because her grief was so great as she endured these various losses that she's had to go over a period of time, uh, legs and so forth, that I would try to steer it. And then she was not able to process that grief out appropriately. And I'm learning to respect the trauma, respect the grief. And, and I want to see if that can translate to us as caregivers where other people can learn to respect our grief, our trauma, and, and not try to assuage it or make it better or put out a nice bow on it, but to let it be what it's going to be. This year marks the 38th anniversary of Gracie's car accident. She's been hurt for 38 years. 
Now, why is that number significant? Well, in Scripture, it refers to the guy at the pool who'd been there 38 years. And then Scripture repeats uh, the, the sentiment of it and saying he'd been there a long time. So even Scripture recognized that it was a long time to be there. And it's one of those moments for me that Scripture seems to just verify the plight that so many are in and give it respect and give it credence. 38 years was a long time. It was just a long time. And, and I look at my wife and I think 38 years is a long time. And you can't just glibly gloss over that. You, you have to give it respect. Well, 35 years, I've been her caregiver for 35 years. That's a long time. And, and, it, and it takes time to process out that grief. And it takes understanding from people to help me do it, uh, from clergy, from counselors, and so forth. And it's the same way with all my fellow caregivers. We, we deserve to have the trauma that we live with respected and help us grieve through this in a healthier manner. Talk a little bit about that. Delve into that as Scripture brings clarity to this. God says in his presence there's fullness of joy. He uses the things of the natural to reveal supernatural things. And so in our presence of making sure we visit, making sure we check in, making sure we make ourselves known to those we care about, that there becomes a certain comfort. And I think that, that what you're describing is that in building a relationship with the caregiver and showing them that you can be present will then open up the opportunity because of trust, compassion, and presence to allow for more dialogue. <clears throat> I, I've wept when people wept. I've rejoiced when people have rejoiced. And imagine becoming that kind of friend that you can weep together, that you get a piece of news or you get frustrated just because this is, is this ever going to end? And if I wish it would end, I'm basically saying like the prodigal son to his father, I wish you were dead. The only way this, this infirmity is going to be healed and be over is a death. And so anytime you entertain that wish, I wish this was over, you're basically saying, I wish this person would die. And that's not what your heart is. You want the condition to be gone, but you want the person restored. But some of these conditions are not fixable. They're only sustainable or some minor improvements, adjustments, but it's not going away. We have to go closer together. We have to be transparent. And part of our transparency is being quiet, is to not have the answers. We're so prone to know what's best for someone else. But if I were to come visit you on a regular basis and that barrier starts to drop and I catch you at a moment when you are vulnerable and you're able to open up, the greatest gift I can ever give you is a listening ear. I don't have anything to say. I only have ears 
in which to receive and to let you pour out and be free to express yourself. And then I give you a hug. Then during that, I take your hand and I just let you know I'm there. I can't fix it, but it's okay. God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. If we're a true friend, it says no greater gift than this than for one man to lay down his life for another. What if I don't get to another ball game? What if I don't get to another event, but I stop by to see Peter just to check in on him? Am I esteeming him more than myself? Am I making my presence known that I become a trusted inner circle friend, that I'm an ear that's faithful and trustworthy that you can speak to when you're ready to talk? And that's the whole concept of Shiva, is that if the bereaved feels comfortable and wants to talk and it brings them comfort to talk about it, it's up to them to initiate. It's not for me to be probative. It's not for me to offer up an anecdote. It's just to be there to listen. This is Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. We're talking with Rabbi Eric Walker. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Peter Rosenberger. Have you ever helped somebody walk for the first time? I've had that privilege many times through our organization, Standing with Hope. When my wife, Gracie, gave up both of her legs following this horrible wreck that she had as a teenager, and she tried to save them for years, and it just wouldn't work out, and finally she relinquished them and thought, wow, this is it. I mean, I don't have any legs anymore. What can God do with that? And then she had this vision for using prosthetic limbs as a means of sharing the gospel, to put legs on our fellow amputees. And that's what we've been doing now since 2005 with Standing With Hope. We work in the West African country of Ghana, and you can be a part of that through supplies, through supporting team members, through supporting the work that we're doing over there. You could designate a limb. There's all kinds of ways that you could be a part of giving the gift that keeps on walking at standingwithhope.com. Would you take a moment to go out to standingwithhope.com and see how you can give They go walking and leaping and praising God. You can be a part of that at standingwithhope.com. I've heard it many times. A frazzled mom in a public place with a toddler, yelling warnings left and right. You can hear her two aisles down in the grocery store shouting, If you don't get over here, I'm leaving without you. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I'm pretty sure that mom wouldn't leave her three-year-old in aisle six of the supermarket. But we've all done what she did. We bark out warnings without any intention of following through. I've met a lot of parents who put off consequences in favor of idle threats. But I've also found that it breeds chaos in their home. If that's something you want to steer clear of, be sure to decide rules and consequences before the frustrating public scene happens. Then stick to your guns. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver on American Family Radio. I am Peter Rosenberger. For the special Memorial Day weekend show, we're talking about grief and mourning 
with my longtime friend, Messianic Rabbi Eric Walker. And I believe that this topic, while difficult, is critical for us as caregivers to journey into, to, to discuss. We have a different kind of mourning. Mourning is part of the human condition. Grief is part of the human condition. But we have a different kind of mourning in, in that many of us have to watch this in a prolonged manner. The reason I wanted to introduce this, and this is part of a, hopefully a series that we'll be able to do to address this issue, because I, I believe as family caregivers that part of our journey to healthiness is learning and experiencing mourning in a healthy manner. We, we've got to learn to grieve well. And I know that sounds dire. And it says, well, that's not much of a, uh, a pathway to anything, Peter. I think it is. I think it's a pathway to us accepting what is going on and grieving it out appropriately with hopefully the help of clergy and counselors and trusted friends. But they've got to have the vocabulary. They've got to have the understanding of what that looks like. If you watch suffering and trauma on a regular basis as a caregiver, I promise you, there is grief and mourning in you that needs to come out. But Scripture says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We are invited to comfort one another with the same comfort that we ourselves have received from the God of all comfort, Paul says in Corinthians. But it's hard to comfort others if we're trying to impose what we think is comforting to them. And sometimes it starts with just sitting and just being and respecting the grief and the trauma that the other person is feeling. And being with a building that relationship of trust so that they can feel free then to grieve this out and receive that comfort in the process. Eric, close us out with this. And, and again, I thank you for, for addressing this issue. I can only tell you this that there's nothing you can do to ever make God stop loving you. God's not punishing you, and it's not because he uniquely selected you because he trusted you with this assignment and all these platitudes that we give to people and say that, uh, uh, you know, God must trust you so much to have given you and, and what an awesome responsibility. And it, it, so many things we try to say to uplift. You don't need to hear that. No, I have heard it, but I don't need to hear it. You're right. Right. You don't need to hear it. What you need to hear is that when your heart is heavy, that you can pick up the phone and you can call me at three o'clock in the morning and I will answer the phone and I'll say, what's going on? And that's the only thing that will come out of my mouth. And you will talk and you'll cry and I will cry with you. And I would just tell you, we'll close in a word of prayer. I have no opinion to offer. You've got the chance to voice and everything that's hidden in darkness that's brought out into the light that allows you to bring it out into the open. It loses a lot of its magnitude, a lot of its heaviness because you've been able to share it. And if you know that you have somebody that you can openly and honestly share with that's going to listen, then you have a friend and support system that is just like God on earth, being the ears of Messiah. You see, we always talk about the hands and feet. 
of Messiah. We never talk about the ears of Messiah. Messiah listens to us. And us trying to be his hands and feet, maybe we're better off being his ears and stop trying so hard to do and just be present and listen. You know, I've often said that this process of caring for one another like this is akin to holding someone's hair while they throw up. I don't mean to be gra- I don't mean to be graphic or, or crass, but that's a real life picture of what it looks like to care for people. It has to happen. The grief has to come out. These things have to come out. And we minister to one another as it happens. We're going to grieve. That's a given. Are we grieving well? And are we helping others do the same? Do we understand that as believers, that we are not grieving as those who have no hope? That's the whole point of this. But it doesn't mean that we won't have tears. But we don't have to have tears of rage and despair. We can have healthier tears and process this grief that we have that is deep in our hearts in in an appropriate manner, in a healthy manner. And hopefully then offer that same comfort to others as we receive that comfort from the God of all comfort. Eric, I really appreciate you being here with me today. When people want to get in touch with you at at Igniting a Nation, what's the best way to do that? Ignitinganation.com and YouTube, both under Igniting a Nation. You just go to our channel, type in Peter Rosenberger, and every one of our episodes will pull right up there, and they can watch all the way through. Ignitinganation.com. Take a look. You know, we're going to go through stuff. Let's go through it equipped and well-prepared, and I think you'll find that this vast library that Rabbi Eric Walker has will indeed uh, help equip you and prepare you and give you insight to what's going on in our world today, uh, particularly in the Middle East, and also right here at home in our own hearts as we deal with the realities of our life as caregivers. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver at HopeForTheCaregiver.com. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.